All right. Well, we um, actually are going to, this morning is going to begin a series for us that's going to lead up to Christmas Eve. Actually, Christmas Eve, we will be here uh, together, Lord willing, we will be here together in worship. And and so we are, are going to begin a series this morning, but to begin, we got to go all the way back to Genesis 6. And um, I know that may seem like a bizarre place, but hopefully by the time it's all said and done, it will make sense why we're going to Genesis 6. But uh, the title of the series is Scripture Cries Out. And that's a phrase that I use oftentimes is that I, I feel like the Word of God cries out to us and God is trying to get our attention, trying to help us to see so that we don't miss out on the greatness of who He is. Uh, but if history tells us anything, it tells us that mankind, we're not the best at listening to what God cries out. We're just not. I mean, God is always abundantly clear and incredibly faithful and makes everything really clear if we're paying attention and we're listening. But the, the problem is never going to be with God. It's always going to be with us and our ability to listen to what God is saying. So, uh, you know, a lot of times when we come into Christmas time, you know, it's uh, we can get caught up in the nostalgia or the just the, the ambiance, the, the, the nice time of the season. But it's much bigger than that, right? I mean, I enjoy lights, and I enjoy the fellowship, and I enjoy the food, certainly the desserts, of course, uh, the nice candle smells, but really it's much bigger than all of those things. And, and so what we want to do, I think what God wants us to do throughout this series, Scripture Cries Out, is to just really take time to see how big of a deal this birth of this uh, baby, this God-man, really was. And so we're going to take some time starting all the way back in Genesis, and we're going to see that God from the very beginning is setting the stage for this arrival of his son, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And so I'm so excited for you to, to be along on this journey with you as the scripture cries out. Um, but, but one of the things uh, that we, we come in Genesis 6, and when I, when I began to read this, I thought to myself, uh, well, this is so early on. You know, I mean, Adam, Adam and Eve uh, had just been in the garden. They had just gotten kicked out of the garden. And how do we get this far away from God this fast? But then I started adding up the years. And it is not as early on as what you may think. It's only in Genesis chapter 6. But when you look at the generations back in Genesis chapter 5, you realize that these folks lived a little bit longer than what we do. Um, none of us, I don't think, have any relatives that we can think of that lived 900 plus years. I don't believe. I, I think that was a, a few years back uh, when that was taking place. And so I started adding this up. And this is actually a thousands of years before we get to the generation of Noah. If you go back into Genesis 5 and begin to add it up. Uh, and so one of the, the problem that we find and, and, and the subtitle for today's message is man's depravity and God's rescue. Man's depravity and God's rescue. Because in Adam, we find that, that I would say if there's ever someone who was close to God, Adam and Eve were close to God. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's hard to get much closer than hanging out with God in the garden, right? And fellowshipping and walking with him. I mean, they, Adam and Eve, were close to God. So what we see is that something that is consistent in all of Scripture, and what I hope you see is this, is that God's plan is throughout all of Scripture, and Scripture is going to bring us to the place of Christ. Scripture is going to bring us to this great rescue story, and all along the way, God is pointing us to this. 
But one of the things that happens in, in, with mankind as well is that, you know, that first generation with Adam and Eve, as they were exposed to God in such a mighty way, as they fellowshiped with God, as generations come and go, when it comes to mankind, what happens normally? We move further and further away from God, right? And then all of a sudden, at times, revival will come, and God, God's presence will come out mighty and powerful, and he will reveal himself in magnificent ways, and that has been all throughout time. But then there'll be generations that get lax, that take it lightly, and they'll slowly but surely end up going away. There's a whole book in the Bible about that in the book of Judges, isn't there? They get away, God raises up a judge, they stay for a while, the judge dies, and the people go, I mean, it's a, it's a consistent problem with mankind. And, and what we find here in the Genesis account, in Genesis 6, is that after the creation, we know that things go very wrong for mankind. And sins, the first thing that we got to look at is sin's corruption is going to spread like wildfire. So in Genesis 6, verse number 5, if you are able to stand this morning in honor of the reading of God's word, I will ask you to do that, but if not, that's okay. If you're able to stand, let's read in Genesis 6, verse number 5 this morning and start looking at how Scripture cries out to us. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we just come to you today and we praise you for your faithfulness. You know, Father, we are not always faithful to you. And Father, what a picture of grace and mercy and love to see that you are faithful to us regardless. Lord, you are always so incredible. You're, you're so faithful to share the truth of your scripture and to always point us and lead us in the right direction. Lord, help us to be people that hear you when you speak. And Lord, help us to hear you this morning as you share from your scripture, your holy word. And Lord, we just ask that your spirit would have his way. We just pray that we would just be obedient in everything that you would have us do in our, our time of worship. Our time in your word would be a sweet-smelling savor to you, Lord. Thank you for being so good to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you all can be seated. Thank you. All right, so in Genesis chapter 6, just to give us a little background, there, there is at the beginning of the chapter, something begins to happen. And, and we're not going to get into that. That's for another time, some other specifics on that. But what, what I do want to say is this, is that mankind, uh, Genesis 6 tells us, uh, begins to drift really far away from God and, and intermingle in their marriage relationships and their, in their children. They, they began to really become corrupt. And, and we see that in, 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 verse, in the verses that we read that sin and corruption is going to spread like wildfire in mankind. And, and we see that God's perspective on this is a little bit different sometimes than our perspective, isn't it? Because God's perspective towards sin, if we get anything from this, we see the way that God 
looks at sin is vastly different than the way that we look at sin sometimes. You know, I was, um, I learned a whole lot from driving in Ohio. And I'm just going to tell you that. You all know some of my stories. Uh, but there's always a consistent amount of learning from driving and, and embarking on a journey in Ohio when we're surrounded by all these Ohio drivers. I love you all, but, but it's different. It's different. Let me just say that. And I learned something else. You know, it's baby steps. I don't get it all immediately, but throughout time, I get piece by piece. Um, and this is that Ohio drivers play a game at the turn signal lights uh, at every stoplight that, that we enter. The turn signal lane, there's a game that they play, and here's the game. They want to see how many they can get through on green, and then yellow, and then really on red. They want to see, and I didn't realize, see, Kentucky, we don't play that game. Red means stop in Kentucky, but in Ohio, it means we're going to see how we can maximize getting traffic through the red. And, 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 you know, it's incredible. Like, I mean, sometimes it's three. I, you know, because I, Kentucky mind, I'm like, all right, it's red. Everyone's going to stop. It's time for me to go because mine's green. But that's not what that means. That means we got two more we're still trying to squeeze through, and you need to hang on and let us get through, right? And I didn't realize that, but, uh, but I've, I've come to learn that that is the way that it is. It's a game. I didn't know. Y'all didn't let me know on, in on that game that you play. You know, I've been stopping at those red lights, and, and that's not what we do here. I didn't even know that until this thing about it the other day uh, that we are actually trying to get through and so you only get like you get more through red than you do green <laughs> which is incredible because I, I always thought it was the other way around uh, but your green light lasts about 10 seconds uh, and then your red is much longer uh, and so you get about two because the, the first one in the line is on their phone so they don't see it turn green so they, they take about five of those seconds and then when they go after they've been honked at by the one behind them then then those two are the only ones that get through on green. And then all the rest of them are on, on the other two colors, which is uh, so vastly different, you know, than what I was used to. But uh, I'm going to start playing the game, I guess. I want to do my best to see if I can participate and not get injured. But, uh, but nonetheless, that's, uh, if, if that's what we do, I just think, it, you know, I'll, I'll, I like playing games, you know. But, but uh, regardless, you know, one of the things that I realize that I do sometimes at these lights, uh, and I'm trying not to let the Ohio driving style really um, uh, have too much of an impact on me. I'm trying to stay true Kentucky driving style, but sometimes it begins to branch over into my mind. And so this is what I, I find that I do when I when I'm coming up on a red on a on a yellow light and I know it's getting ready. You know, when you get up to it and you know it's getting ready to turn red, but it's not there yet, you feel okay about continuing to try to make it through that, right? So this is what I've begun to do is, is if I, I think to myself, if I don't look directly at it turning red, I feel better about going through it because the last time I saw it, it was yellow. Does anybody else relate to that? Okay. I, I, know, I know that it's red and I can see it out of my peripheral bit, but I'm like, you know, if I don't look directly at it, maybe it would be okay. And as a matter, after all, it's normal here for the first three or four or five, six cars to go through on the red when it turns red. So, uh, so I'm just kind of playing the game at that point. But, uh, but I've noticed, and I was telling Tiffany about this, that's kind of what I do. If I don't look directly at it, then maybe it's not that big a deal, because last time I saw it, it was still yellow. But you know, I thought about that when it comes to our sin. I think, I think in our sin, sometimes we kind of take on the same perspective. If I don't look directly at it, it's not that big of a deal. 
You know, I can, I can sin and, and I, can, I can lie or I can do a little bit here, but if I just rush through that and I don't spend much time thinking about what I have done, thinking about how, far, how disobedient I've been to God, how far I've gotten away from Him, if I don't think about too long that I haven't been worshiping Him at church or I haven't been serving Him at home or I haven't been reading my word or praying or I, I've been telling a few, if I don't think too much on it, it's just like with that ray. If I don't see it and I just let it pass by, then that conviction won't be there and I can easily write it off that I'm pretty okay because I'm not paying that much attention to it. And I think that that's kind of how mankind deals with sin sometimes. Because we definitely don't look at it like God looks at it. Because God looks at it, and there's a couple things about these first couple verses that is really incredible. And you see, the reason, the first part of salvation is understanding that we need rescued from something. It's understanding that we are sinful, and that we have been disobedient for all of sin and false. It's understanding our disobedience, our separation from God, but it's hard to do that if we take this approach that we're not going to pay that much attention, and when we do see it, we're going to justify it away by saying, oh, that's not that big of a deal. But I want you to know something, that God says it is. And there's a couple things I want you to see about God talking about mankind. He says mankind has become corrupt, but he doesn't give you the specific sins that made them corrupt. It's just sinfulness across the board. And that's really important that we see. Because a lot of times what we do is it's easy for us to look at specific sins and say, well, that one's sinful because look at the lifestyle that they're living. You know, obviously we can look at the big ones. A lot of times we'll look at things like homosexuality. We'll be on that and, and, and abortion and those kind of things. And we'll say, well, those things, those are definitely sin. And they absolutely are. They are against what the Word of God says. That is completely true. But notice that there's no category here in the presence of God, in the eyes of God for sin. It is just sin. It's all sin. It's all disobedience in the eyes of God, right? And so in our culture today, one of the sins we've gotten really good at is lying. We're very good. And we justify lying and we say, well, lying's not that big a deal, which is not biblical at all. At all. Like God actually identifies the big deal that lying is. But in our culture, you know, I had a real estate uh, friend that said he was been in real estate business for years. And he said it used to be you just would sign a couple papers and you would handshake and then you would have your house. But now there's a stack about that big, right? And you got it. Why is that? We, well, because integrity has went, uh, has went downhill in our country, hasn't it? And as a matter of fact, a lot of times we give it a lot of different names and we say, well, it's just a white lie or it's a fib and it's all these things, but, but sin is sin. And, and then in Genesis 6, when God sees this, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Was only evil continually. And that has not changed. That has not changed. Without Jesus Christ, our flesh is evil continually. We are going after the imaginations of our heart, and it doesn't matter whether we categorize the sin as big, whether we breeze through that and say, I'm not going to make direct eye contact because I don't want to be convicted by it. It does not matter. If God says it's sin, then it is sin and against him. 
according to what the Word of God says. And so many times I think, you know, we don't, myself included, we cannot repent. We cannot take care of those sins. We can, because we don't, we live in this world where we're just kind of like assuming so much and we don't really take a look at our sinfulness and what that how that impacts God. So not only here do you see that God doesn't categorize it, but you see that you see God's thoughts and God's heart towards sin. In verse 6, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. So that makes it hit a little different, right? It grieved God at his heart, the sinfulness. So what is one of those uh, what, what is one of those things that we always say? My sin doesn't hurt anybody but myself. That is a lie from the enemy. That is not true. Because we see that, it, it, we know that it also impacts those around us, but we also know here, was God troubled by the sinfulness of mankind? Absolutely he was troubled by it. It grieved him, it says, at his, at his heart. And so a lot of times we're thinking on the physical realm, we're saying, well, I don't want to hurt that one, or it don't trouble that one, but you don't think, we don't think about what does God see in our heart and life when we are deliberately disobedient and refuse to make that right in God's eyes, when we don't repent when we don't fall on our face and we just live in that sin, what does it do to God's heart? Where is God with all of that? And so he says, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. The wages of sin is death. That's what Romans 6 says, isn't it? That standard that God had doesn't change throughout time. In our world today, whether you're here or whether you're online, here's the thing, is that a lot of times what we want to do is paint sin and sinful lifestyle in a happy, joyous life so that everyone looks and thinks that it's okay, but according to the Word of God, it is not. And for you and I, here's the thing, for those of you out there today that are believers, repentance should be a daily part of our life as we are a child of the King. Because as a child of the King, when we know that our disobedience hurts our Father, don't we want to make that right with our Father? Because when we don't make that right with our Father, there is separation there. But those of you today that are not born again, that are not followers of Jesus, one of the things that you, one of the lies that you have to get out of your head is that being a good person or doing mainly right things is a substitute and eliminates the guilt that you have for sin because it does not. And there's nobody that is innocent. Even if we're here today or online or in, in person, and no matter where you're at, the reality is, is that if you don't know Jesus, you are still lost in your sin. And it doesn't matter whether you have what we would classify as big sin or not. God doesn't categorize here. He says sin is sin. They're wicked. They're corrupt. 
that every one of them are after the imagination of their own of their thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and we know that left on our own who is going to be on the throne of our life we are right we're going to be on the throne of our life. We're going to make our own gods. We're going to worship the way we want to. We're going to bring sad idols into our life. We're going, to, we're going to lead the show. We're going to do what feels right. We're going to follow our emotions. We are going to be the ones that's in control if left on our own without Jesus Christ. And there's wickedness there. So in Genesis, way back in Genesis chapter 6, we see that Scripture cries out this, that in mankind there is a problem, and we have to see it as that. We have to understand the problem. And there's a world that's out there that is striving to be a good person and is not paying attention to the problem of sin. There are even Christians out there or identifying Christians that is not paying attention to the sin in their life, to the disobedience, and we cast it off like in our own minds and don't look directly at it and say, well, it's probably not that big a deal. But that's not what God says. We have to see sin the way God does. Corruption, decay, disobedience. Sin is not okay in any shape, form, or fashion. And sin is not just the big things. Sin is also the things you should be doing for God, but you're not. It's not just the things, it's not just, oh, I follow the Ten Commandments like the rich young ruler, right? It's not just that mentality. It's also those moments that you know that you should be given to God, but you're not. Those things that God says you need to be serving him in this way, but you're not. Those convictions he places on your heart, and you're like, well, I'll set those aside. I'll get to them later. And you put God on the back burner. All those things. James says that to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And so we've got to see the whole spectrum of sin the way God does and if we don't see that we're never going to think that we need a rescue from our lifestyle of sin and so what does the devil do the devil paints sin in a happy light because if it looks happy if it looks joyous then we don't think anything about it you know one of the biggest ways he does that is in television shows I've watched television shows, and a lot of times in the television shows, what you see is fellowship. You see smiles. You see joyfulness, just the happiness about them. But all behind the scenes, you see ungodly lifestyles being practiced and lived while the smiles are on their faces. And for some of us, we may look at it and we may say, well, we can, we can see right through that. But what about for the children? What about for the youth? What about for those untrained eyes that see that and they're like, oh, well, that lifestyle is directly connected to joy, to happiness, to, to being, to being uh, getting along, to fellowship. And they, and they see that and they identify that as being okay. What about those? And that's what the enemy does. He tries to paint it in a light that makes us accepting when God is not. So we have to see sin. The scripture cries out, sin in mankind began to spread like wildfire and to this day that has not changed. Sin is still spreading like wildfire. But what, look at this. I want you to see this, but God. This is all point number two, but God. That's all I can think about because even though the wages of sin is death, even though God was like, I'm going to destroy them for their disobedience, we see when God steps in, there is always, always hope. There is always hope. Look at verse 8. But 
And I love those conjunctions. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God looked at everybody else. God looked at all of mankind. He doesn't say that there was anybody else that he saw. But there was Noah. There was one. Because what does God do? God always has a remnant. That when God, there's always hope. As you read the prophets, you realize that even in an immense judgment, he, he brings in Jesus Christ. He brings in the plan, and there is always hope. Way back at the beginning, there is one that found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and his name was Noah. So all of a sudden, from seven to eight, we go from a hopeless, destructive situation to now there's going to be one chance for rescue for mankind, and his name was Noah. Do you see how that begins to point us? There's going to be another place where there's one chance for rescue from the depraved, sinful humanity, and his name is going to be Jesus. So, so Noah here, it says that, but God, and I want you to see in verse number 13, and God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through him, through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth, make thee an ark of gopher wood, and uh, rooms shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without pitch, and this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of, the length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, and breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits a window shalt thou make to the ark and in a cubit thou shalt finish it above and the door of the ark that shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower second and third story shalt thou make it and so so there was one there was Noah and you know I started thinking about this even with Sodom and Gomorrah was there one there was one wasn't there the lot even though you may look at Lot, and as you study him, you may say, well, I don't see what God saw in Lot. And um, I, I can relate to that, but God saw it. And so he rescued Lot, and of course, not all of the family made it. Uh, the pillar of Saul happened, but nonetheless, there was, there was still one. And so, so Noah found grace in his eyes. And so I thought about that, but God. And then I was thinking, my mind went, as I'm sure yours may have as well, straight to Ephesians 2. And in Ephesians 2, a very popular chapter, this is what the Word of God says. And I, I want you to see this because God is crying out in the Scripture to us. And he says in, in Ephesians 2, verse number 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And then verse number four, what's the first two words? But God. Because mankind hasn't changed from Genesis 6 till today. Mankind is still wicked, and it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter how you were raised, the reality is, is mankind on its own is sinful. Man, woman, boy, we're all sinful. And, and whether it's Genesis at the very beginning, or it's way later in Ephesians, when Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, we see that he even identifies the fact that we, he hath quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so again, we find ourselves, just like in Genesis, today in this situation that it says we are dead. Now, I don't know about you, but there's not a whole lot I can do for dead. 
but God can do all things. So it says in verse number four that but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. So we see that uh, just like back as God was pointing us to way back in Genesis 6 all of mankind he was going to destroy but then there was one. But God showed up and mankind was going to remain because there was Noah. You see, even in the Old Testament, as we look at this, we see that there is a terrible problem of sin, but God always has the answer. And when God steps in, even though everyone else may be dead, even, and that was the way it was, even though everything else may be hopeless, when God steps in, he's the only place for hope to be found. There is no other place. There's none of this. We can do good things. There's none of this. Even we can go to church enough. There's none of this. We can go get baptized. It's God. We need God's way. And that's the only way for us to have hope. Is God's way. But God made a way. And he's going to make a way for the mankind in the beginning. And that way is going to be through Noah. So God enters the scene and all of a sudden all hope comes into play. But here's one of the things that I want us to see. Let's jump down to chapter 7 to verse number 13. I want us to look at this together. Um, the, the, the third thing is this. We must look to his way. So here's the thing, church. Those that are online, all of us that are here and they can hear the sound of the voice, we have to understand this, that the only way for us to have hope and to escape the consequences for the sin that has ran rampant like a wildfire is to do it God's way. Only God's way. So that means that regardless of how the world wants to paint the picture, if it doesn't line up with God's way, it's not the hope you're looking for. So there's a lot of pictures in our world today that is being painted, that are being painted, and as a result, what it leaves is a lot of people confused. And, and, uh, and we are blessed to go, as you all know, and, and speak to teenagers every Tuesday at school. And you want to see a world that's confused go out into the community and talk to people at large in the community and see what their responses are about Jesus, and you'll see confusion. You'll see what that looks like. Kids that have not grown up in church, that didn't have the privileges that I had to have godly parents maybe that are raising them. And you see that they really don't understand about Jesus, the concept of salvation. And so everything is walking them through to help them to see. But one of the things that they are is honest about what, where they are. We were blessed this week to have five that stayed after. I believe it was five. And they're looking to take steps to, be, to knowing Christ as their Savior. And these five, uh, they've stayed after for weeks. And Andrew's been there Phil, uh, one time where they stayed after. They have, and a lot of them were the consistent ones for about five to six weeks probably. They've stayed after and been challenged to read and to get in and to see more about Christ. And I asked those five, who in this group... Now, this has been weeks that we've talked about salvation. Who in this group are believers in Jesus Christ or followers of his? Two of them raised their hand. The other three did not. 
And you may say, well, that's sad. But what I saw in that was at least they're honest enough to recognize it as they search to follow him. And so these three, uh, and I told these three, I said, because it's not a, it's not a repeat of prayer. It's not just in a moment in time. It is a, it's a life surrender. And so these three, I said, we are going to ask you as you read and as you look at and study what it means to actually follow Jesus, because they don't know that much as you understand what the call really is, as you count the cost and we do together, then the opportunity is going to be there for you to surrender your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And any time of the day you call and tell Mr. Whirling you would like to talk I will come to the school and we can talk about what it means to surrender your life anytime God lays that on your heart but I believe they need to know what the cost is to truly be able to follow accurately obediently but I'll tell you this adults sometimes the kids actually 97% of the time the kids are more honest than what the adults are about where they really are. I did not have to beg and plead. I did not have to dig around. I did not have to, to, to do anything. I just asked the question. So let me ask you. You go out to 90% of those around this church and you ask them if they're a Christian, what are they going to say? Yes. What does that mean? Nothing. We don't, we don't know. Because it doesn't take very long to talk to them and, and, and to realize that they don't, they don't know either. You know, when they lead off with the things that they lead off of, I, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm, you know, yeah, I, I go to church. Yeah, I've been bad. You know, when they lead off with that instead of Jesus Christ, the only way that God has given for us to be redeemed and rescued, then you know that they are looking at the wrong place. If the first thing when someone asks you a Christian, if we say talk about baptism instead of about Jesus, you know you're looking at the wrong place. We are not following baptism. We are not following church attendance. We are not following our own definition of good works. We're only following Jesus. And so the lead off doesn't need to be anything other than Jesus as a follower of Christ. But you see that even though the, the kids are honest, even though it's easy to tell, I think there's a lot of adults that don't realize as well what it means. We don't understand the depravity. We don't understand the need because we don't understand just how bad our sin really is. And we live in a world where nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear the, the sinfulness of mankind. Nobody wants to talk about how bad it is. Not because I say it's bad, because mine's just as bad as anybody else's, but because God says it's bad. Nobody wants to talk about how that impacts our relationship with God. Why there are wages and, and costs for that sin that is so high that nobody wants to pay. Nobody wants to talk about that. But God talks about that. God tells us that uh, the, the, the danger in our sinfulness, God says, here is the problem with mankind. God puts, uh, puts his, his finger on it and says, here is the issue. And, and a lot of times we will skirt through life and say, well, we're pretty okay. We're not that bad, but stop. We got to stop looking at it from man's perspective and start seeing it as the scripture cries out to mankind. Because then it's from God's perspective. And that looks very different. Uh, so, so we see here in chapter 7, this is what it says. 
uh, in verse number 13, in the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with him into the ark. They and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah and to the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female, all of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And who shut the door? God did. Because in Genesis 6 and 7, there was still one problem with mankind, and that was sin. There was still one cost for that problem, and that was death. And there was still only one way for salvation, and that was God's way. There was still only one door to get in, and that was the one door that God had made in the ark. And there was one person that controlled the door, and that was God. Way back in Genesis 6 and 7, the pages of Scripture cries out to us, God cries out to us, because I believe that the love and the grace and mercy of God wants you to know Him. He wants a relationship. He wants you to be forgiven and redeemed and to walk as His sons and daughters. And so all throughout Scripture, He cries out and He points us to this concept of the way that there's a sin problem, but there is hope in God because there is one way to be saved for all of mankind. As a matter of fact, if we jump to John 10, we see that there is another one that is mentioned as one that controls the door. And this fella is also uh, identified as the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, just like God was in control of the door of that ark, and he shut that door when they got in, we see that in, as a good shepherd, he is also in control of the door. And who gets in and who gets who goes comes and goes. Look at what it says in, in John 10, verse number 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. So we see that whether it's in Genesis or whether it's in the Gospel of John, there is still one way. There is still one keeper of the door. Everybody else that gets in and tries to get in, and there's a world filled with people that says, hey, there's another way in. There's another way. Climb over the gate. Worship another God. Just do it however you feel like you need to do it. Universalism at its best, right? Pick a path that goes up the mountain to reach God and just do that well. But Jesus says, there's one door. And anybody else who tries to climb in another way, it's not going to work. 
in a world that, that cultivates this concept, an enemy that cultivates this concept, that there are many ways God's word makes it abundantly clear all the way through as the pages of scripture cry out that there is but one way. And three things, there is one door, there is one way to be saved. And one thing that we understand about getting in, even in Noah's time, is righteousness being right in God's eyes is required, isn't it? Moses, or, or Noah, walked with God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There was something intimate and special about Noah that allowed him to enter in where it didn't allow for anybody else to enter in other than his family. So church, let me ask you this. Those that are online with us today, here's the thing. Are any of you righteous? No. Nobody is. There's not a single person in all of this world on our own, let me clarify, that are righteous ourselves. So what that tells us is this. Without God's way, we're not getting in. We're not. Without God making the door and allowing us access, we're not getting in. And, and, and we can look at that, and I know that sounds harsh, but here's, here's the thing. We have to understand sin is a problem. When you and I live against God, that's a problem. Whatever capacity, I'm not, God doesn't make uh, all these, I'm not making categories. I'm saying all of us, myself, all of us, sin is a problem. Sin is an issue. It is against God. It is not something to take lightly. It is not like, oh, well, I messed up today, but hopefully I'll get it right tomorrow. No, no, no. Listen, if you are against God, he says he grieved him at his heart because mankind was sinful and we still are today. But God is a God of forgiveness. Glory to his name, right? God is a God of hope. God is a God of life. God is a God of peace and grace and mercy and love that I can't even understand. Because when he looked on mankind, even in Noah's day, and he saw the wickedness, he said, I'm going to build a boat and save a family. When he looked at mankind and he said, I'm, 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 I'm sorry that I made them. I repent that I made them. I, 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 I'm just going to destroy them. He, he did not destroy them all. He saw the family. But God commendeth his love towards you and me in that while we were yet sinners, he sent somebody for us. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while the wages for our sin was death, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God hasn't changed from Genesis 6 and 7 to our present day to day. God is still faithful. God is still amazing. God still makes a way for all of mankind. And we are getting ready. We are moving closer and closer to celebrating that coming way. And all day, every day, every step of the way, it should be a continual celebration. Because all of mankind is sinful and deserves the wages of that sin but God is gracious God is merciful 
God has made a way for us to enter in. And that way is Jesus Christ. So what I want us to see today as we move toward a time of invitation is this. A lot of times we can, we can get caught up in, in all of the frills of Christmas. And we can get caught up in the decorations and we can get caught up in the music and we can get caught, 93.3's been playing it for weeks and weeks already, right? We can get caught up in all of these things. But we never need to lose sight of the reason for it all. And that is that not just that we celebrate, oh, there was a baby that came and that baby was so cute. No, God, God sent a rescuer for all of mankind that was lost in their sin so that we could enter in. Because without him, we can't. But here's the thing. You have to be honest about your need to be rescued before you're ever going to seek the rescuer. You have to be honest. It's easy for us, it's easy for me to come into a church building and to put on something and to pretend and to feel better about myself because I'm in a church building. But the church building is not the one that we follow. Jesus is. So, so we, we can't be deceived. We don't need to, to be distracted into thinking, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not, that, I'm not that bad. I've not made that many mistakes. I've lived a pretty good life. If you don't know Jesus Christ, that's just not the case. Because God's word says all of us have sinned. And today we've seen what God thinks about sin. We have to be honest. You know, sometimes the honesty of children even uh, can, can hurt your feelings, can it? One of the parents that came to the Friday night had a daughter that came here. And Zaley ran over to me. They go to the same school. The daughter's in first grade. And the mom of this little girl said, hey, do you know so-and-so? And so they said, yep. She's kind of annoying. And I was like... <laughs> Are you sure it's the same one, Zaley? Yeah, it's that one. Okay, awesome. I am so sorry. She's like, well, at least she's honest. Sometimes it can really be hard to hear. But why do you think so many children are the ones that come to know Christ so often? Because they're honest about where they stand before God. As adults, we, we create filters and justifiers in our life that replace our honesty. And we say, well, uh, I know that this church and this crazy preacher may talk about everyone being lost in their sin, but I think I'm okay. And that gets us by. But the main problem with that perspective is you said that you think... I can tell you through my 37 years of life, I, I don't take much stock in what I think because it's been wrong a whole lot. But God has never been wrong. So 
So if you're here today and you're lost, you, you've not given your life to Christ, you're not a follower of his, here, here's the thing is, is you may not be as bad as others around you, and you may justify in your life saying, well, I think that I'm okay. I hope that I'm okay. I, I hope that I make it there. Other people have said I'm a good person. But let me say this to you. The other people that are saying you're a good person are also people that are lost in their sin. We don't compare ourselves to other people. We compare ourselves to Christ, and none of us are where we need to be with Christ. Sin is a problem, but God's given us the rescue. But maybe you're here today and you're, you, you have followed Christ, but you have sin in your life that you're not taking care of because you're not looking directly at it like me and my red light. And you're saying, hey, you know, I've been, I've been kind of grumbly. I've been uh, kind of gossipy. I've been uh, not spending time with God. I've not been reading the Bible and, and praying. I've not been uh, serving the Lord like he's called. I've not been doing all the things that God said. But you know what? I have so many good things going in my life, even though God's convicting me and convicting me. I'm just going to push past it and hope that in the end it's okay. You need to repent this morning. It doesn't have to be this morning. We need to repent of that because sin is not okay with God. Maybe that's you here. So when I think about this passage and I think about the scripture crying out, I think about this, that it really cries out for all of us. Whether you're a believer or whether you're not, everything, all of our hope is found in what that word tells us about an awesome God and a rescuing Savior. And without that hope, we are going to go head first into the wages of the sin and our own ability and account all on our own. We're going to go head first that direction. And we're going to trust that, or we're going to hope that everything's going to turn out okay. But God says, you don't have to be at that place. I'm telling you, the problem and I'm telling you my solution. All I want you to do is come. All I want you to do is, is surrender. And when you surrender, even though your sin is great, his forgiveness is greater. disobedience in life and your mistakes seem to constantly maybe sometimes follow you. It's not more than he can forgive. It's not a bigger price than Christ has paid. But so many times we're unwilling to come in hopes that one day we will. God says you don't have to live with that uncertainty. I'm trying to show you that I've loved you so much that I've sent away. You just gotta come. So wherever you are today, I feel like that's the Lord's message to all of us. Just come. Repent. Come. Surrender. Come. Fall on your face, right? Before the Almighty King. And if nothing else, start by just thanking him a thousand times 
that even though we deserve to be destroyed, God entered the scene and gave us life. If we could stand together, heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just see this picture, God, of, of all of mankind. Lord, of, of us all standing there. All of us unworthy. All of us deserving of this death. As you, you said you were grieved, you were sorry, that you made mankind. What a glorious picture of who you are in the midst of the greatness of who you are. To love us and to give us hope instead of what we deserved. All of us standing there, sinners, disobedient, deserving of every wage that would come upon us. But then, Lord, we see this picture of a Savior that was born, that came down and said, I'm going to take everything that they deserved and put it upon myself so that they can receive adoption just as I am your son. And Lord, I see this picture of a rescue mission like no other. Father, I just pray as your spirit would lead, as you would guide, that we would not hide in our corners behind our excuses, but we would, we would run with all that is in us to the feet of the rescuer. King Jesus, the one that, that took everything, every whipping and smack and thorns and spit and nails and abuse and beating and everything, everything that I should have been taking, you took it for all of us. <coughs> so that we could be saved from the destruction to come. Lord, I just pray that we'd be a people that's always ready to run to you. Because you are crying out through your scripture and saying, I have made a way. Run to it. Lord, just pray that you would have your way and we praise you for being mighty to save. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.